living with spike protein in a post-pandemic world is something we all have to grapple with, whether you've had the virus, you've been vaccinated yourself, or if you're around those who were. The wellness company's Spike Support Formula is a daily supplement that can help you feel your best and then stay that way. Go to twccanada.health to get back to that pre-pandemic feeling with Spike Support. Use coupon code REBEL to save 10% off these doctor-formulated products, which are rooted in science. And for a limited time, your first month's membership is only 99 cents. That's twccanada.health, coupon code REBEL at checkout. It's time to put your wellness back in the driver's seat. Tonight, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network is funded by Justin Trudeau to file busybody complaints against his political adversaries. And I've got the results of those complaints And it is hilarious. Then Josh Andrus from Project Confederation joins me to do a post-mortem on the Alberta election. It is June 1st, 2023. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, but yes, you are watching The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Anti-Hate Network is a bunch of failures, tattletales, and tone policers. You probably already knew that if you pay close attention to Rebel News reporting, but it wouldn't be so bad except you pay these people to troll the internet for fake Nazis through government grants dished out by the Heritage Ministry. And I've got an update to what they've been doing with that very specific grant money and the supply of fake Nazi LARPers on the internet never, ever rises to meet the demand the left seems to have for fake Nazi LARPers on the internet. But it is true. Justin Trudeau pays these insufferable social media, social justice hall monitors with taxpayer money to compile intel and dossiers on Trudeau's critics to then use the intel and dossiers to label Trudeau's critics as hate organizations. Sometimes these people end up on a terrorism watch list. The Canadian Anti-Hate Network will also find inconsequential people on the fringes of any anti-Trudeau movement to use those inconsequential individuals as an example by which to taint the whole group through press releases, media appearances, and reports. The Anti-Hate Network, well, they're touted as experts on hate groups, apropos of almost nothing except their own declarations of expertise. But I think the phone call about who and what is the hate group, well, that might be coming from inside the house, as they say. Now, we reported on this story back in 2021 after we received evidence through access to information filings from the Heritage Ministry. And let me just stop right here because I want to thank everybody who makes this important accountability work possible through your donations to our investigations and filing fund at rebelinvestigates.com. People who donate to that fund fund a lot of the work that I do here at Rebel News. So this is me thanking you personally for that. But if you missed that reporting, let's just breeze back through it really quick together so you can see why we kept filing for more information. On page six of these 2021 Heritage Ministry documents, we can see the government exempted the Canadian Anti-Hate Network from having to provide an annual financial statement because they were just so, quote, new. However, they were founded in March 2018, so way past the normal one-year rule for this kind of stuff. On page 17, we can see that the Canadian Anti-Hate Network got $268,400 from the government, and we can see what they got that money for 
Two pages later, on page 19, they used it to hire four new staff to spend their time filing police complaints against groups they are monitoring. On page 38, we can see what they call their little dossiers. They call them explanatory pieces. And quickly, we could see the Canadian Anti-Hate Network move to filing those police complaints. Look at this. An anti-hate group said it had filed a complaint with the Law Society of Ontario asking for an investigation into a criminal lawyer who appeared to pledge allegiance to the far-right Proud Boys in a video. The Canadian Anti-Hate Network said it had filed the complaint against Colin A. Brown on Thursday after Global News reported on the video showing him reciting the Proud Boys oath. Based on all of the evidence above, we have enormous concerns about Mr. Brown's actions and their damage to the legal profession and administration of justice in Ontario, the complaint alleges. So that complaint, by the way, was filed in the middle of April 2021. And by May 2021, the men's drinking and social club, the Proud Boys, was listed as a terrorist group by the Canadian government akin to Al-Qaeda ridiculous, right? But do you see how that pipeline works? They compile the dossier, they file the complaint, your life is ruined, you end up labeled as a terrorist. Wash, rinse, repeat. And Trudeau is paying them to do this with your money. And when I call the Canadian Anti-Hate Network failures, as I did off the top of this video, I can support that with evidence, unlike much of what the Canadian Anti-Hate Network says about Trudeau's enemies. Just look at this from journalist Jonathan Kay. In 2019, I was sued for libel by a director of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. He claimed Barbara Kay, so that's John's mom, and I linked the Anti-Hate Network to, quote, violent Antifa. The judgment released today, the claim was dismissed. The judge ruled that the Anti-Hate Network does assist Antifa. And two, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network director has used courts to stifle detractors, though failed in this case. So to clarify here, because this is really fascinating, the Trudeau government gives tons of taxpayers money to a group that a judge now confirms supports Antifa which does engage in violence. The truth, I guess, is the defense to libel here. But now we know what came of most of those police complaints that Trudeau paid the Canadian Anti-Hate Network to file. And <laughs> it's nothing, which is amazing and hilarious and shout out to the police. And I can show you all of this through another exclusive access to information filing by Rebel News into the Anti-Hate Network's communications since with the Heritage Ministry. The Anti-Hate Network in these communications, well, they are updating the ministry about what these tattletales have been doing with the money they were given by the Trudeau government. They were, I guess, showing proof of work. It reads, we continue to file professional and lawyer-reviewed criminal complaints that provide evidence of criminal activity by members and supporters of hate-promoting groups. However, since applying for the grant, we have been disappointed to find that engaging law enforcement in this way is not particularly fruitful. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Now, while we still file those complaints, we put less of an emphasis there and pursue other legal avenues in cases of criminality too. For example, lawyer-drafted complaints to social media platforms. 
So again, let's stop and clarify here. The police won't do anything about these busybody, time-wasting complaints because being disagreeable or expressing clunky views online, well, that's not a crime in Canada. Canada already has well-defined laws regarding hate speech, the promotion of genocide, or threats to do harm. Those are real crimes. Disagreeing with Justin Trudeau or being a bit of a prickly jerk online, it's not illegal. So instead, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, they're forced to go tattling to social media platforms to have critics censored. Let's keep going. I have no problem with the language in the agreement in regards to law enforcement as it is in version one. However, if you have no objections, I've omitted references to law enforcement in section one and section three in my edits on the basis that we have found that they rarely, if ever, (laughs) pursue those complaints and we can't promise good results for that activity. We have far more successful outcomes with our public reporting. Public reporting, of course, is a strange way to put whipping up an online mob to ruin your life, but okay. And if you've been targeted by these people, like John Kay and his mom Barbara were, just know you paid for it and you can thank Trudeau for all of it. Stay with us. Josh Andrus from Project Confederation joins me after the break to do a post-mortem on the Alberta election. It's all over, but the crying, as they say, this time the tears are of the NDP. But things are not completely finalized in the Alberta election. There are ridings going to recount. And I guess people want to know what Danielle Smith should do next. Now, joining me is someone who has been an avid election watcher, a political activist, and someone we've had on my show, The Gun Show, to talk about the election campaign and what Alberta needs to do to reassert ourselves within Confederation. So I thought, let's have Josh on, let's digest the election results and talk about Danielle Smith's new mandate to lead. So Josh, from Project Confederation, Josh Andrus, thanks for joining me. Um, I guess let's talk about the election results. It's a lot closer than I think a, a lot of conservatives may have thought. I For me, this is about right. Um, just based on the polling data that I had seen in the lead up, what do you think? What What's your opinion of how things shook out? It did feel a little bit closer than anticipated. A lot of these, uh, so how, how Alberta's kind of structured is the bulk of the ridings in the province are outside of the made two major cities, which are Calgary and Edmonton. Those are solidly conservative. And in some cases, pulling in 80% of the vote but then you get into the cities. Edmonton, it's there might as well be a wall around it. It is orange. It is NDP orange. It has been for eight years now. The NDP, when they were in government, uh, really enhanced the public sector in Edmonton, which which really gave them kind of a buffer zone there. Calgary was very interesting. Um, the UCP managed to hold South Calgary, which was very important to their electoral chances. I mean, they needed 44 seats to win. They, as of today, have 49. There is a recount going on in at least one riding I know of, and that would be Tyler Shandro in Calgary, Acadia. Um, But the south side of Calgary did hold. You saw some of the inner city ridings. I think Calgary Glenmore went uh, NDP as well. So there were a couple that were on like the borderline edge of the south side. The north, um, well, that was effectively orange. 
right? With the exception yeah. of, I think, Muhammad Yassin won in Calgary North. So yeah, there there are changing demographics. This was an election campaign where there was a lot of noise. There was a lot of controversy that the mainstream media was was digging up uh, old statements by Danielle, some affiliated groups that were saying some controversial things, at least according to the mainstream media, that may have driv- driven some of the results in some of these closer ridings in Calgary. But yeah, 49, if if the recount overturns Shandro's uh, results in Acadia, we'll see what if it goes to 50. That is a big if. 49 is a, a majority government, though. So Danielle Smith does have a mandate, a four-year mandate to move forward with her agenda. And it will be very interesting to see exactly how she he, she approaches this. Does she need? Does she feel the need to moderate or does she move fast at the beginning with some more of, of her premier policy pieces that that are controversial to to the left and, and the mainstream media if i had my like daniel smith fantasy football what would she do next i would tell her to move fast because she i think she needs a lot of time to convince those on the cusp calgary voters that the sky will not fall if she moves forward her agenda um, because right now the the mainstream media and the NDP, but I might be repeating myself there, um, they are really continuing to fear monger about Danielle Smith, what she's going to do to healthcare. They're still talking about she's going to make you pay for healthcare. <laughs> she's literally never said that. She mused about that in a radio show when she was somebody who commented on things and floated thought bubbles. That's what you do as a political commentator. Um what do you think she should do? Should she move slowly? Should she do the whole like slow and steady Stephen Harper thing where we're still looking for his hidden agenda? Or does she move quickly like Ron DeSantis? I think I'm I'm in the like move quickly like Ron DeSantis. And I think that really helped his electoral results last time around. You know, Florida usually ends up yeah, in a recount. Yeah. Statistical yeah. rounding error determines things there. But he pushed his conservative agenda. And people realize, you know what, it's it, it's not bad. It's good. It's not scary. Nobody died. The apocalypse didn't come. And people lose faith in the media that way. But what do you think she should do? Well, I'm just going to read a quote from uh, her, her uh, victory speech here. Uh, she says, hopefully the prime minister and his caucus are watching tonight. Let me cl- be clear. And she's talking about um, a lot of these more radical environmental ideas that are coming out of Ottawa. This is not a road we can afford to go down, she says. If he persists, he will be hurting Canadians from coast to coast, and he will strain the patience and goodwill of Albertans in an unprecedented fashion. And as Premier, I cannot, under any circumstance, allow these contemplated federal policies to be inflicted upon Albertans. Albertans, I simply can't, and I won't. And I think that's the message that she's bringing to the table. I mean, that those are very strong words. And finally, my fellow Albertans, we need to come together, no matter how we have voted, to stand shoulder to shoulder against soon-to-be-announced Ottawa policies that would significantly harm our provincial economy. Now, we have been made aware that in the coming weeks, Justin Trudeau is planning on bringing forward new restrictions on electricity generation from natural gas that will not only massively increase your power bills, but will also endanger the integrity and reliability of our entire power grid, which we rely on during our cold and dark Alberta winters. In addition, the Prime Minister is already ready to introduce a de facto production cap on our oil and gas sector that, if implemented, 
if implemented, will result in tens of thousands of jobs lost, tens of billions in lost investment, damage our province's fiscal position, and bring economic hardship to Albertans. Now, I've made myself clear on this matter to the Prime Minister in person and in public, but I feel we need to do it again. Minister and his caucus are watching tonight. <laughs> but let me be clear, this is not a road we can afford to go down. If he persists, he will be hurting Canadians from coast to coast, and he will strain the patience and goodwill of Albertans in an unprecedented fashion. We've seen in Saskatchewan, Scott Mall taking a very similar stance on the net zero electricity grid on the uh, emissions cap, which is effectively a de facto production cap because we don't have the technology to cap emissions without capping production, as well as the carbon tax and some of these other policies that are coming out of Ottawa. I think that is a winning message. I think that is a winning strategy. I did notice during the campaign that the media seemed to downplay a lot of the federal policies. And I did notice like that I think if it wasn't an election year in Alberta during the wildfire, Stephen Guibault would have been out uh, talking about the 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 dangers of climate change and why we need to move forward with net zero. I, I do think that what we're seeing from Danielle is that she is going to push hard, push back hard on Ottawa. It's something that Kenny said he was going to do in 2019. I also think that because it wasn't really a fixture during the campaign, it kind of faded from the fight between Trudeau and, and Alberta kind of shifted to the backdrop in people's minds when they went to the ballot box. I think if she brings that up and she makes it a centerpiece of her platform, of, of her government over the next four years, she's going to be really well positioned to repeat uh, in 2027 or whenever uh, we go back to the polls. Now, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, her speech was, okay, we won, let's unite, now let's rumble. Ottawa. And I think it was, it was great. And that's exactly what conservatives want to hear. Um, yeah. th that's, that's the red meat for conservatives who may be skeptical of her, you know, so she did. I, I mean, she, she's was previously a political commentator. So you get to say whatever you want when you do those sorts of things, not so much when you're a politician. Now I want to you're ask. Feeling, oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You're filling time as well, right? Like yeah, you're sitting sure. there and you have to like, you're, you have like these 15 minute segments where you sit there and talk and sometimes you're going to muse about things. And, and I do think that you're right about that. It, things did get taken out of context that like you said. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now I want to ask you about Rachel Notley. I am shocked actually that she didn't resign after that loss. I, I, I listened with bated breath her to her entire uh, concession speech because I was so excited <laughs> because I thought I'm going to hear her resign live on air and I get to react with all my friends, all the thousands of people watching are going to get to see just how happy I am about this. And then she just snatched it from me in one final insult. Uh, I was sort of surprised that she didn't resign, but she did say she's staying on as leader. I love you all so much. Now, although we did not achieve the outcome that we wanted, we did take a major step towards it. The unprecedented growth of our party through this campaign is a warm light, one that gives me a lot of optimism for the work to come. 
My friends, let me be clear. Now is not the time to let up. Now is the time to step up. To... time for us to do the work that has been asked of us. It is my honor to serve as your leader and it is my privilege to continue to serve as leader of the official opposition. Our values will be represented in the legislature. We will have a say in the future of this great province. We will continue to speak up on behalf of Albertans who struggle to have their voice heard, we will fight for better health care, better education, better jobs. And my friends, we will be unequivocal in our demand for respect for the rule of law and an unqualified belief in the an unqualified belief in the human rights and basic dignity of all Albertans. The challenges we face, the challenges facing Alberta, economic, environmental, social, they all require dedication and determination. And we will bring that to Alberta's legislature tirelessly. Work. We will never stop working to rebuild our public health care, to support the well-being of our communities, to protect our mountains, our pensions, and our kids' education, all while ensuring we have an economy that works for absolutely all Albertans. So to all Albertans, we will be your voice when this government refuses to listen. And one small message to Danielle Smith and to the members of her new caucus, I say this. If we had won, because you know, inside piece of information here, I actually had two speeches drafted for tonight. <laughs> if we had won, our commitment was to have been to do everything that we could to move past division and to govern for the vast majority of Albertans, to be practical and pragmatic and to listen to all voices. Whatever. So I am asking you to remember the majority of Albertans tonight and to a government that prioritizes the need and aspirations of all Albertans. So in conclusion tonight, my friends, I just want to say I am so proud of the work that every single solitary member of our movement of this NDP has done over the last four weeks. Together, we fought passionately for a better future, and I am so very, very proud to be the leader of this party. Thank you all very much. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. You people, like, who buys this? It's like a cult. She tricked me. She tricked me into listening to her because I thought she was going to resign.
So I paid intense attention. I choked down a pickled egg. That was the first time I had a chance to eat. She comes on, ruins my pickled egg. I listen to the whole thing thinking she's going to resign. And then she doesn't resign. And then she feeds us a line of BS about how she's going to be the premier for all Albertans and move past divisions. She's the one being divisive and not speaking to all Albertans. What a load of baloney. And then to not even resign. You lost two back-to-back elections, sister. Move along. Let some new blood get in there. Let Shannon Phillips get in there, act crazy, and remind people why they don't like the NDP. But no, apparently not. Do you think the party's happy with that? Well, I mean, uh, given that it a lot of these ridings were close. I think both sides are kind of taking victory laps right now. The NDP mm. shouldn't be like, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm not happy with the fact that the NDP have such a large opposition. Um, uh, like that is, it, it makes things more difficult. So in some ways, I think both sides can claim a bit of a victory here. Like this is a strong conservative province. Jason Kenney united two conservative parties and won 63 seats. I mean, we've had conservative governments here for a long time. <clears throat> And I also think uh, even if she were to go to her team and say, look, I should step down tonight, they're probably going to beg her not to because I don't think they have much of a party without Rachel Notley. No offense to a lot of their more outspoken um, individuals that I uh, disagree with in most, mm -hmm. actually, if not all cases. <laughs> but we we end up in this situation where, yeah, the party would be kind of it would be a quagmire without Notley at the helm. I mean, she was, ma she managed to not, she didn't sell very well, but she, she went around the province wearing a blue suit and blue jeans and trying to convince everybody that she was a conservative. Um, now how that sits with the party grassroots, it's a different question. I mean, on election night, you, you, you're not really hearing from the grassroots. You're hearing from the people that were on the campaign, um, the more, the higher ups when you're, you're making these decisions. And, and I think in her case, it's going to be interesting to see their their first AGM back, whether or not she does get a resounding um, vote of confidence from her membership if they have a leadership vote. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out over the next four years. It may be possible that the federal NDP job comes open and she makes mm -hmm. a run for it, or maybe even uh, if there's an opening in the Liberal Party of Canada that she does throw her hat in that ring as well. I mean, the parties are kind of not too diametrically opposite on policy, so she could probably fit one or the other. So it, the next four years, how they play out is really going to shape the 2027 election. I mean, what we it'll be it'll be very interesting to see whether or not she sticks it out for four years or she, she or she's forced out by her party or she decides to take a step up to the federal uh, arena. Yeah, you know, when I heard that, I thought, you know, who's just as disappointed as I am that Rachel Notley is staying on? Probably Shannon Phillips, probably Rod Loyola, probably Sarah Hoffman, because I think if you had a leadership race, it would be those three. One is, you know, the the big government uh, side of the NDP uh, party. One is the radical environmentalist side of the NDP party. And one is the just abhorrent social justice side of the NDP yeah. party. So it was like the the trifecta of what makes the NDP just completely unpalatable for people like me. All three of them were sort of waiting with bated breath to be disappointed like me. It was the one time that we agreed on something. Um, and <laughs> for me, as, as a conservative or a member of the conservative movement that is nonpartisan conservative, I would love to see Rachel Notley run to lead the federal NDP. She checks a lot of identity boxes and they tell me they care about those things. She's 
Western. She's female. She, as far as the NDP are concerned, she's probably the most successful NDP politician in the last 10 years. She cracked Fortress Alberta. And um, so as a conservative, I'd love to see her go that way because it would cause an intense fracture on the progressive side um, federally. And much the way Thomas Mulcair did, um, it would allow the conservatives to run up the middle and we would see, a. I think, if Rachel Notley moved to the NDP federally, we would see a poly-up government next. I think that's the case. But I also want to point out, like, I, I don't want to sound like I'm tooting her horn too much, but she does have Jack Layton vibes. She's very charismatic. Sure. She's good in front of a camera. She's not, she's good at moderating her her edges. Um mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just boosting her because I'm trying to, you know, maybe she'll listen and go. Yeah. Um, But no, she, she, like the NDP, they lost, but they they didn't lose by a lot. And I I think that's something that we all have to keep in mind as we head into the next four years that this was not the resounding majority that we were hoping to see. That being said, in 1993, Ralph Klein had his miracle on the prairies. I think he got 45% of the vote, Daniel got 52. So we're in this interesting part, piece of history in the province where we really only have two mainstream parties. And 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 without Notley, I don't see the NDP being anywhere near they, where they are. And that that's that's even with like Shannon Phillips or let's even throw Nahid Nenshi's, Nahed Nenshi's name in there, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he was the mayor of Calgary for... I want to say 10 years, mm-hmm. maybe more. Was it 20? A long time, right? And he was he somehow managed to keep getting reelected. He claims he's purple. I don't see it. But it's one of those things where without Notley, I think the party starts to fracture. Um, so I do understand why she didn't resign from that point of view. It is Yeah, there's a lot of people waiting in the wings, but do they have the ability to keep the party together? Do they, Is the infighting going to to flare up does rod loyola run for leader and his communist ties get exposed in the mainstream media i don't know i mean there's a lot of this going on but yeah no i think i understand why notley stuck around i do hope she goes federal i do think that would be great for conservatism um because she would 100 percent fracture the vote uh she's a very capable politician and mm-hmm. and um yeah I, I i wish her the best of luck if she takes that, that <laughs> me too me too um, now, I saw a release from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation this morning. Chris Sims, my friend, wrote it. And they are suggesting that it is time for the Alberta government to shrink the size of cabinet. I'm not against it. What do you think? I think cabinet's massive. I mean, yeah. I, I understood why Smith um, kept cabinet as because Kenny just it seemed like he was just handing out favors to stop opposition within his own sure. caucus. So so cabinet kept expanding and kept expanding. And by the time w- the election was or by the time he was out of office, I think there were more cabinet ministers than he had MLAs in caucus like mm-hmm. or like like backbenchers. Right. So do I want to see cabinet reduced? Absolutely. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with having a small, capable team overseeing the direction of the government. I think when you get too many cooks in the kitchen, it leads to more chaos and less decisions. So I think it streamlining government is an absolute necessity. And I would like, I, I 100% agree with Chris that, that we should, I would love to see a streamlined cabinet. Yeah, I, like you, I understand why she sort of kept cabinet large. She was dealing with 
now Kenny's not like not just her people, but she was trying to sort of heal a a party that had been divided and, and, you know, Kenny's people didn't like her and maybe her people didn't like Kenny's people. So it was like a healing cabinet, I guess. Yeah. I just, I just don't want to pay for their therapy session. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Now I want to ask you, what's the one thing, one thing besides fighting with the feds that Smith should do now that she has a mandate to lead? I'd like to see some changes to health care. Um, and and I, I'm open to suggestions. I don't have anything off the top of my head. Obviously, we don't want to see funding cuts, but there, there's something going on with the model in the sense that we are spending more per capita on health care than everybody except for, I think it's Prince Edward Island or it, it's one of the maritime provinces does spend more per capita on health care. But our system has been in, in the verge of collapse, if not collapsing for as long as I can remember. And I've been mm-hmm. paying attention to politics for the better part of my adult life. Right. I mean, that's all you ever hear about. And, and whether whether we see the, the bureaucracy kind of maybe cut a little bit so that we can get more money to the front lines, something like that. Uh, just, uh, it's at the point where, yeah, it's noticeable when you when you're dealing with the system my grandfather died in the fall i understand things have improved since then but dealing with the healthcare system has been a huge issue and i I would also just since i'm going here um i'd like to see this not just the size of cabinet cut but the size of government cut yeah i mean like the oil prices are relatively stable but we're we're always at risk of another price drop here i mean it's just something that's a reality and yeah it's nice to get a hundred dollar oil or where we're sitting at around 70 dollars for uh, west texas but i would like to see the size of government cut and bigger surpluses so that we're not as reliant on oil and gas for to keep the lights on here and we don't we're not running massive deficits if we get a a surprise shock out of OPEC where they decide they're gonna you know pump a whole bunch to drive prices down and that's really the the concern I have so those are the two big areas that I would probably point out um also fiscal policy it does weigh on inflation right Mm -hmm. like so if governments are spending too much money it puts too much pressure on the central bank to raise interest rates faster that puts pressure on the financial system at large Alberta here we've been you know, relative to the rest of the country, stable in terms of affordability. But if we're if we're cutting spending, it it takes money out of the system and it, and it does help keep prices even more stable. And we don't have to rely as much on the central banks to bail us out when, it, you know, that could lead to challenges within the financial system. Now, Josh, how do people find out about the work that you're doing at Project Confederation? Uh, just go to www.projectconfederation.ca. Um, we've got a pretty easy to navigate website. I usually send people to the news section so you can follow what we're doing. We post, we try to post once a week. Um, I mean, we'll see how we do in the summer, but um, we've been pretty good at, at uh, getting getting something out there once a week. Just commentary on uh, a really inter on the relationship between not just Alberta and the federal government, but the the entire but the provinces and the federal government. We want to see a more decentralized federation because we think that we are a country of unique um, regions that w- need that all need to be treated like they're unique and that their needs are addressed in that manner and 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 a centralized power structure as, as the federal government under this administration has has sought out 
has diminished national unity and, and created and fractured us. So we were trying to bring us back to trying to bring the country back together. And we think we do that through decentralization. So that's just a quick pitch. There's more to it, but uh, check us out www.projectconfederation.ca. Awesome. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always a, a pleasure to talk to you. You're quickly becoming a fan favorite and I will have you back on again very soon. Well, thanks for having me. I, I always enjoy these. Thanks. Stay with us. Your letters to Ezra, read by me, up after the break. Well, friends, we've come to the portion of the show where we invite your viewer feedback. Unlike the mainstream media, we actually care about what you think about the work that we do here at Rebel News. They so often are so happy to take your money filtered through the hands of the federal government as a bailout, but they never want to hear what you actually think about them. They'll block you, they close comments, well, not us here at Rebel News. Not only do we welcome your comments, sometimes we read them on air. And uh, today's comments come to us on David's interview with the incredible Sue Ann Levy on the culture of fear and silence in the Toronto District School Board. COVID is a hoax, that's the username says, homeschool your children, people. One of the greatest ways you can show your children you truly love them is by teaching them and protecting them. What better way to do both than by homeschooling them? Once people start doing that more often, then we won't need to see these articles about corrupt school boards anymore. You know, that's um, that's a, a, a very salient point here, and it's also why the left attacks the diversity of the Alberta school system. And uh, I'm reliably informed that the left cares about diversity, but they really don't. They only care about diversity of color. They don't actually care about diversity of choices or diversity of thought, that's for sure. But here in Alberta, the funding model is that the funding follows the child, which is great because then you have all these schools that aren't cookie cutter schools pop up and offer accessible tailored education to your child's needs. So maybe it's a hockey academy or a rugby academy or a military academy or an arts school. We have private religious schools. We have public religious schools, I guess, like the separate Catholic system. But by having the funding follow the child, what that means is Middle-income families and even lower-income families can now have access to high-quality private education that in other provinces, only rich people can afford. And um, the left seems to think that all children must languish in the same cookie-cutter school system and that parents should never, ever, ever get a say. You know, when I hear somebody say it takes a village to raise a child, no. No. It takes parents to raise a child and uh, those parents live in a village. <laughs> Nobody else gets to raise my child but me. On David's monologue of an Ontario Catholic school board voting against raising the pride flag and I suppose doing the Catholic thing at a Catholic school board. I know we shouldn't be shocked by it, but I think it's kind of shocking because there's just so, as particularly in Ontario, so much ideological conformity on this issue and bullying. Um, 
even though the Archbishop Tom Collins has given a directive that the cross is the most inclusive symbol uh, for us Catholics and of the Catholic Church, these woke school boards infected by activists are doing things that are completely anti-Catholic. And frankly, it's been shocking to see this school board actually do the right thing. Uh, Mike Orioles writes, weak people need to shove their stuff down people's throat. That's the thing. If you think that your view is the right view, you should have no problem convincing other people through proper arguments and and the free and liberal exchange of ideas that your viewpoint is the better viewpoint, the one that anybody, given all the facts, would come to. But if you don't have confidence in your view or in your ability to argue on behalf of your view, then you just use force and cancel culture. And that's what the left does because they know their arguments do not stand up to scrutiny. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to the boss for trusting me with his show. And thanks to everybody in the office in Toronto and across the country who works hard to put the show together to bring to you so that it's there whenever you want to watch it. They work very hard behind the scenes. They're the unsung heroes of the company. Well, everybody, as Ezra Levant always says, keep fighting for freedom.